0: Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 13, and this week I spoke to Ree Owens of The Next Step. Ree is a versatile crafter who knits, sews, crochets, and more. She's a prolific knitwear designer of clothes for women and children. We talk about Ree's love for natural fiber and dyes and how her family lineage of crafters has influenced how and why she crafts. As a sewist, Rhee uses the process to create garments that truly fit her, and we discuss how empowering that relationship can be. I cannot recommend Rhee's blog highly enough for resources for sustainable and ethical fibers, as well as some really inspiring blog interviews. I'd also recommend checking out the show notes for this podcast episode, as there are heaps of links to great blogs about sustainability and craft. Listen on for a whole
1: chat. So I'm recording now. Me too.
0: So one, two, three... (laughs) I always love that because it's like so delayed you think like oh we're gonna clap and it's gonna be relatively like in time it's like clap one two clap (laughs) and I've just like completely ruined the whole purpose of doing the clap (laughs) by now doing all this but anyway such is life (laughs) hey there it's Ani of Close Knit and I'm here with Rhi Owens of The Next Step
1: hey Rhi Hi, how's it going?
0: Yeah, good. How are you?
1: I'm really good.
0: Yeah, awesome. So I am in Tasmania in my
1: bedroom. Where are you, Ree? Uh So I'm in Hastings on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. Ooh, I have like dreamt about going to the Mornington Peninsula for ages and I've never been. It's a pretty special place. We used to come down for day trips a lot before we moved here. And yeah, it's one of our favorite spots. So nice. So beautiful.
0: Cool. Well, um, I am just going to jump straight in with the questions and we'll kind of get to know you through those. Okay. Cool. So, Rhi, what's your fiber of choice and what sort of craft medium do you gravitate toward the most?
1: So the craft is definitely knitting. I do sew and crochet as well, but knitting there is something special about it that just calms my soul. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my favourite fibre, it probably is wool, um, but I love cotton in the summer. I'm falling out of love a little bit with cotton at the moment. I'm finding it's not ageing as well as I would like. So next summer I'm very excited to try some linen. Yeah.
0: Yes. I um, picked up some linen in boston from quince and co oh yeah um and i it's i find it sort of difficult to like it's kind of hard on your hands you know how yeah. wool has so much elasticity but linen's kind of a it's like a firm you can tell that it's like cellulose yeah <laughs> like it's a firm structure yeah um but i've i'm so excited to see i mean it's just sitting in my stash like trying to become something but i haven't gotten to it yet but i feel like it's it's. I love linen as a fabric, like I wear mm-hmm. linen all the time. So I imagine that a knit fabric with linen would be as special as the
1: woven ones that I wear. Yeah, and I think it's supposed to age really well, which is what I'm looking for. It just seems to get better with age. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and I remember too, I listened to um, – knit fm which was pam allen and hannah fettig's podcast they did for a while and they talked a lot about linen and they were like oh you can just put it in the washing machine you can put it in the dryer and it will look even more beautiful yeah you can iron it yeah it's like indestructible yeah yeah um so i would love to know i know that you're saying that pod um (laughs) podcast sorry I know that you said that um, cotton isn't sort of wearing as well as you were hoping, but yeah. I'd love to know where you've even like sourced your cotton or where you found cotton. Because I find cotton one of those tricky ones to kind of source properly.
1: It is, yeah. I've been using one that has just been discontinued, which is absolutely devastating. Um, it's gorgeous. It's yeah. an it's from Eco Yarns in Australia. Um, so mm-hmm. it's their brand and they do two, one called Virtue's. Um, and one called Clouds, but they're both really similar. They're both DK weights, and um, it's like one really lush ply of very lightly spun cotton, and then a much smaller tightly spun cotton wrapped around that one and it's kind of fluffy Mm. and almost woolen it's just the most beautiful yarn and yeah just been discontinued so sorry everyone who would like to try that now (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was gonna be like oh we'll have a link to that in the show notes she may still have a little bit left on the website but I yeah I don't Mm. know if there'd be much left now yeah, and mm-hmm. it was all naturally dyed as well, plant dyed, so oh, it was just perfection, Ooh, organic, yeah, it is. was just like, it ticked all the boxes. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, were, do you find that you knit with all fibres kind of all year round, or were you gra- like gravitating towards cotton in
1: the summer? Uh, I do love cotton just for the drapes, but mm. yeah, I, I, I definitely knit with wool all year round. And then cotton, mostly in the warmer weather. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Does it get as hot in the Mornington Peninsula as it does in Melbourne in summer and stuff? It does.
1: Yeah. It's, it's usually yeah. a few degrees cooler than Melbourne. So it might be like yeah. 45 in Melbourne and we might make it to 40. But yeah, <laughs> we don't have all the cement to heat up around us and we get a nice ocean breeze. So it's a little yeah. bit cooler.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for people who are in the U.S. and getting confused about what that means, it's probably around 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Like, I always have to make these calculations in my head because I'm from the States originally, so I'm always like, I don't really know what that means, but I just know that anything above 40 is, like, absurdly hot. Yeah.
1: It's basically just like living in an oven. Yeah. We don't get that many over 40 days. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the rare ones through summer. Yeah. But, yeah, we definitely get the seasons – in Victoria. We get all the extremes of the seasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well that's good because then you have a chance to actually wear the woolen
1: garments that you knit. Oh right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Even yeah. in summer, sometimes you get to wear the woolen garments. It's <laughs> completely unpredictable. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that.
0: <laughs> so what is your favorite part about sort of the fiber arts
1: world? And within that, what is one thing that you're excited about right now? Um My favourite part of the Fibre Arts world is a very practical thing which is just being able to make clothes that are for your personal body that are suited to you rather than trying to make your body fit the standard sizings. Um, That's the thing that's really changed my whole outlook on my body and fashion in general. Um, So that's definitely my favourite part of being part of the Fibre Arts world. And um, the thing I'm most excited about at the moment is really the um, sort of slow movement and minimalism in general that's really making its way into the fibre arts world as well as heaps of other things. Um, People are really starting to focus on quality over quantity and choosing locally made, whether that's fibre or clothing or food. And um, that's the thing that I love. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so when did you end up starting your blog the
1: next step oh i can't actually remember it would have been at least six months i'd say maybe october or november last year um Mm -hmm. and yeah i really started it because i wanted a directory of um fibers and fabrics that are ethically made and sustainably made um Yeah, that's. I couldn't find a directory anywhere. So it was really just a matter of scouring Instagram and scouring the internet and searching, Googling ethical and sustainable (laughs) fabrics. And, um,. Yeah, it it was just so time consuming. Whenever you wanted to do a project, it would just be like hours of research beforehand Mm -hmm. to make sure you were choosing the right thing. I just wanted somewhere I could go and go, yep, I want this fabric and I want to spend this much and that's what I've got on my directory. So I've got price points and different types of fabrics and different types of fibre that anyone would want to use and so you can just go there and it's quick and easy and yeah, it's what I wanted
0: yeah, it's I think it's amazing. Re and I were talking about about this before we started recording just just exactly what you were saying, which is that it takes so much effort and there's so much research involved to try to figure out any any point of transparency within these supply chains of where did these things come from? How can I buy them? Do they even have an internet presence? Um so it's pretty cool to see you Actually, making this an accessible thing, like a list that you can just go to. And her, yeah. yeah, Ree's blog is so perfect. Your blog is so perfect for this because it's like, here is this list. <laughs> here are like, it's even um, location specific. And I really appreciated that because I think, yeah, I think in particular, like being in Australia, even though you would expect that there would be a lot of options that were really locally produced, there actually aren't. Or I don't know, do you think there are?
1: Yeah, it's so rare. No, I think Australia is really lacking. Um, We've still got the sheep. We've still got the sheep farmers, Mm -hmm. but we don't have the processing anymore. All the processing is now done overseas, and so that's the problem in Australia. Mm. And I think the other problem that I don't love about Australian wool is the mulesing, which is still done here. Like, it's completely illegal in New Zealand and in the UK, and I'm pretty sure in America Mm. as well. Um, But mulesing is still like standard practice in Australia Mm. it's not something that happens rarely it's standard from pretty much all sheep farms so unless you know exactly the farm that your fiber is coming from if it says Australian wool you can pretty much guarantee that the sheep have been mules yeah
0: for people who aren't familiar with mulesing can you talk a little bit about what that process entails and like why it maybe is bad
1: um, well, the sheep basically all the skin around their um, backside is removed, and it's done without anesthetic. Yeah. Um, so it's a really painful process, and um, the sheep will run from the farmers for I think I can't remember the exact days, but it's like over a hundred days afterwards because they're yeah. still so traumatized from it. So it's it's a pretty awful thing to happen, and it's not really necessary there are heaps of sheep farms that don't do it and there's even sheep farms that you know don't do the tail docking anymore so yeah yeah you can can get around it if you really care about your sheep and you want to look after them it's definitely an option that you don't need to mules and you don't need to tail dock
0: yeah yeah and that was um that was what I was reading off your directory for white gum wool and what I noticed I, I did a little I spent a little time just like helping out Around Nan's house um, on the White Gum Farm while she was away, and noted, you could, you oh, could just see amazing. them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> well, in saying it was pretty good, there was also a fire and like a big snake inside the house, so it was like also horrifying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but the overarching Welcome like concept, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the overarching okay. sort of concept was good, and you could see, yeah, you could you could see what you had written out about. She doesn't mules. She's not um, docking. So she's not cutting the tails off these sheep and it's because she's dedicated to their, um, nutrition and she understands how to graze them. Yeah. So it just seems like, again, it's, it's almost like applying, um, the, the principles we're trying to apply to our, um, our purchasing to the type of farming. Like if you're going to take the time and really be thorough and research and care about them, then, you can have this really beautiful outcome and I think that that's yeah yeah
1: I think that's apparent with with Nan's flock for sure yeah I think if all sheep farms could be compared with Nan's flock that would just be the ideal world really yeah (laughs) pretty much (laughs)
0: pretty much yeah cool so, you know, you knit and you do a little bit of sewing and a little bit of crochet. Yep. Can you tell me about how you started on those things and your kind of journey with fiber? Arts? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, My craft is just ingrained in my family. So my grandmother is an artist. Um, she owned a gallery and an art supply art supply shop and she does workshops and she teaches and She really focuses on fine arts now in paintings and sort of glass mosaics is her thing at the moment. Um, But she's always crafted throughout her whole life and she had four daughters who she taught her skills to and then they in turn taught their children. So my mum's the oldest of the four Mm. girls um, and possibly the least creative. (laughs) She's an accountant now and she loves that. Um, But when I was younger, she was more into the crafts and so... Um, she used to sew our clothes mostly out of necessity um, but she also did porcelain um, and she crocheted and um, yeah, I've got one auntie who is an artist um, working in paint and, and um, one who's incredibly good at knitting and then the youngest one really started off sewing um, but now she's really into knitting and spinning as well. So, yeah, all my aunties are really creative as well and, yeah, it's been passed down to us. So, it's something that I just grew up with and it was always surrounded by. We just made our own stuff and my mum's catchphrase when I was growing up was, you could make that yourself. (laughs) And I hated hearing that (laughs) when I was a teenager because I just wanted to buy the cool stuff. I didn't want to make it. But now it's something that I don't even realize, but when I'm in a shop and I see something, I'm like, I I like, um, I say to myself now, I could make that. (laughs) And I'm starting to say it to my own daughter now as well, when she wants something from the shops. I'm like, we could make that. (laughs) So, that's just our catchphrase in the family. Um, And so, yeah, my mum taught me to knit and crochet when I was about four or five. Um, But crochet was just something that clicked in my brain when I was younger. Um, I really understood the shaping and I could sort of see a shape and just know how to do it with crochet. Whereas knitting, I just didn't get when I was younger. Um, so, I have memories of my mum and myself making this um, queen size crochet bed cover and it was squares which were a mesh middle and then a pineapple lace around the outside and um, I would do the mesh middle and then hand it on to my mum and she would do the pineapple lace. and we worked on that thing for years and I have no memory of it ever being finished. So, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> but um, that's the one thing I remember us working on the most. It was in a cream wool. Um, yeah. And then sewing really came about when I was in high school, I think. Um, we did textiles through school. And... Sorry, my daughter's just come yeah, out. <laughs> So, yeah, we did textiles and it was horribly boring. We were doing, you know, bags and aprons and I didn't get into that at all. But then when I was doing fine arts in my VCE, the last two years of high school, um, I started incorporating sewing into my fine arts stuff. So my last two projects in... In, for my fine arts course were um, two dresses made out of chocolate wrappers. Whoa. <laughs> so that was like my recycling and sewing combined. Yeah. <laughs> I had all my friends madly eating chocolate and saving the wrappers <laughs> for me <laughs> so I could get these two dresses finished. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and then sewing is something that I've just done ever since and I sew out of necessity and I sew because I love it and um, just to, just to make things that only... I can make mm. and that fit me and so I love sewing um but I have to say I don't love the process of sewing sewing for me is all about the finished mm. garment um so knitting on the other hand knitting is about the process just as much as the finished garment yeah. so it wasn't until my daughter was about three that I really got into knitting I was um really quite ill after a after the pregnancy and eventually after three years of me thinking it was just my body recovering, um, I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease that um, your immune system attacks your thyroid. Mm. And so fatigue is sort of the main symptom. So by the time she was three and I was diagnosed, I was pretty bad. So there were days when I wasn't even getting out of bed. And um, I... A lot of my sewing blogs at the time, um, they had started doing knitting projects. And one in particular was Lauren from Ladybird, um, which most people who sew will know. She's pretty, pretty popular. <laughs> um, she does very good stuff. And she, for her first knitting project, had done the Agatha Cardigan from Andy Sutherland. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It's this cute little cropped sweater that is perfect for high-waisted skirts and um, it. I just knew that I needed that in my wardrobe. And so I thought, well, it, it was her first knitting project. It could be mine as well. I could do that. So, yeah, I did it. I got the yarn that she suggested, which was Cascade. And um, I got these proper size knitting needles. And I did it all by the book, which is not like me at all <laughs> normally. I just fudge everything as I go. But I was like, I really want this cardigan to work out. So I'm going to actually pay attention to the, to the instructions <laughs> And yeah, so I knit it and I still wear it now and I absolutely love it. It's such a great design. And I think when it does, it's getting a little bit felted now when it does finally go, I'm going to have to do another one because it's, yeah, it's one of my favorites.
0: Mm. Mm. I'll have to look that one up. I don't think I've, I've seen that one before. Oh, it's pretty cute. <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious with um, kind of the crafts that you approach more out of necessity and And maybe this is generational as well, too. I think a lot about how our grandparents' generation probably was crafting out of necessity. And um, whilst there may still be some necessity in it, I think, generally speaking, um, it can be more expensive or time-consuming or both to make the thing from scratch, just given fast fashion and how it's, you know, you can buy a T-shirt for $3 or something. Can you tell me a bit about, like, how your approach to crafting by necessity might differ from non-necessity knitting or, or crafting. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. I think with my sewing, it's very much out of necessity. Um, mm. I don't want to go and buy stuff from the chain store for my daughter, yeah. especially. And for me, my stuff, I've kind of got under control now. I'm really trying to focus on my daughter now getting, just like leggings, you can go down and buy a pair of girls' leggings for $5 and it's pretty hard when you're going through so many to not do that. So, now I'm really trying to focus on her. Um, one thing that I do that is like my most thrifty thing is I buy sheets from the op shop and use those for dresses. Yeah, so, yeah. I've got a couple of sheet dresses. My daughter's got a couple of sheet dresses. Honestly, you would never know. I promise. No, no I'm sure. Yeah. So, I do that. Yeah, really that's too. like one of the things that I do to save money and I think by saving money in that way then I have a little bit more to spend on the knitting fiber which is where all my big money goes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's all about priorities yeah yeah happy oh, to wear yeah. a sheet dress but I want the good fiber for my cardigan
0: <laughs> yeah well and that's the tricky bit hey with it's particularly with um I think knitting fibers and yarns and stuff is when you want the wall and you want if you want a natural fiber and you want to try to get one that you can see the tri- the supply chain in some way or another, yes, the, the price point is
1: high. It's just it just it is. is. It is, yeah. It yeah. really is a luxury to be able to buy that yarn. But mm. it's something that, yeah, I will sacrifice other stuff in my life so that I can buy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: and I think fair enough. Like I think we, it's it's interesting because we approach or we've learned to approach food in this way. Like a lot of people can totally justify spending more for the organic thing, for the locally produced things, shopping at a farmer's market, whatever it is. Um, But I often find not so much in the maker community, because we're all already pretty much converts anyway, but speaking Mm -hmm. to people that I know who maybe don't make things with their hands or aren't as... I don't know they haven't done the research that we've spent a bunch of hours doing um just don't think of it in the same way that they think about food yeah yeah i agree yeah i don't know i wonder i often kind of wonder whether the slow fashion slow whatever craft movement is like just a certain number of years behind like lags behind the slow food movement in some ways or something (laughs) like
1: yeah, I think it is. I guess because everyone has to eat, but not everyone crafts, so I guess that's yeah. why it's progressing more quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the even just the clothing
0: yourself thing—the like whether you're going to buy a five-dollar pair of leggings or whether you're going to—I don't know. Maybe just they, there aren't as many options for buying the leggings that aren't five dollars, but they're clearly superior in terms of like sustainability or being ethical or something i don't know yeah obviously a bigger question yes. than than one podcast episode <laughs> but yeah yeah
1: i think it's still just the uh, the thing of being able to know which companies are ethical and making mm. their things um in a way that helps the environment rather than um hurts it and think yeah just having a good directory of where you can buy good leggings would be just as just as useful as having a directory of um where you can buy ethically made yarn yeah
0: absolutely yeah so you've done a bit of crafting out of necessity and crafting for fun in terms of like motivation to continue knitting and sewing and whatever the craft is can you tell me a bit about about where you
1: get your motivation from yeah, I really get my motivation from other people, from inspiration, mm. from Instagram and blogs. Um, I love my blogs and I do love Instagram. I, yeah, I, when I see beautiful things and when I see p- people making beautiful things, it just makes me want to do it too. Mm, totally. Do you find at all that um, having
0: that space to share your things once you've made them as well inspires you I've just I've noticed that that's something that for me made a really big difference especially early on like I just when somebody when somebody knew about it and they said like good job I was like oh yeah. I did a good job
1: <laughs> yeah that's really good as well Yeah, mm. you for Instagram for for feedback. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, which luckily for us in the knitting community is almost always very positive.
1: <laughs> it is. It's such a great community. Yeah, yep. I
0: agree. <laughs> um, what is your biggest bit of advice that you have for somebody who's just starting out
1: on their fiber arts journey? Oh, my biggest piece of advice would definitely be buy quality because when you've got a supply that is really special to you whether it be fiber or a piece of fabric when you've got something special you really want to do a good job with that Mm. um and so you will put in that extra effort and google the tutorials that you need and and make sure that yeah that you do a really good job with it um and the other thing is yeah surround yourself with as many people who make as possible whether that be online or in real life and that will be really inspiring as well. Yeah, mm. help you get through, especially, yeah, those hard beginner times when you don't yeah. know what you're doing and you don't know how it's going to work out. You're thinking <laughs> you're putting all this effort into something you have no idea what it's going to look like in the end. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seeing what other people have done with that same pattern, that that will help get you through.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Because even just having the
0: pattern in front of you and the pictures and stuff, you just – you look at your thing and you look back
1: at the picture and you're like,
0: "Mm, (laughs) not sure this is going to get there. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. And with knitting, definitely using natural fibers because they really hide a multitude of sins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's magic when you've got natural fibers. (laughs) So true. Oh my
0: gosh. I know. I only kind of started blocking like, maybe six months ago, like regularly. I've been knitting for a while, yep. but it's, but now I'm addicted. I like get my thing off the needles. I'm like, all right, straight to the tub or straight yeah. to the sink because this thing oh, needs to be Oh, I was blocked. definitely the
1: same. My first few knitting projects <laughs> never got blocked.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's amazing the difference it makes. And I think especially like the first project that I blocked was with this um, Norwegian wool, which was really kind of Not like itchy wool, you know, quote unquote, but just sort of Mm -hmm. rustic, (laughs) I guess you could say. (laughs) And so it was like a very firm fiber. And I was talking to a woman who I met through Instagram, Danielle, who's Lunar Knits on Instagram and she was like oh you should block that like cuz it was a shawl and the edges were curling she was like block that and it'll like this wool will bloom beautifully and i was like what is blooming like what does bloom, that mean bloom i know what's bloom <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then it did it, like you know it the stitches completely filled out and it became this like, yeah. really soft fiber and i was like wow magic <laughs> it's magic it really is <laughs> i know <laughs> So you get a lot of inspiration from sort of Instagram and different blogs. Can you tell me who you think we should
1: be following along with? Yes. So one of my favorite blogs is definitely The Craft Sessions. Um, Mm -hmm. She just speaks to my soul. Um, She's got such great practical advice for everything from buying quality and making quality to just like knocking out kids' clothes really quickly. (laughs) She just covers all the bases. (laughs) So, yeah, her Simple Sewing series is one of my favourites and also the Stash Less that she's doing at the moment. I'm loving that. Mm. Um, and I think she just recently did a blog post on slow fashion and um, that was just spot on in my opinion. Um, yeah, so definitely look that one up. Her posts are always thought provoking. Yeah, yeah, I love her. Yeah
0: yeah i've re- i've I only found her semi recently and then started reading her posts about stash less and I guess for yeah. people listening, stash less is kind of she's just talking about like using the materials you already have and having less of what knitters refer to as their stash like this yeah. big pile of yarn that maybe doesn't isn't destined to become anything and can also produce a lot of anxiety yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, just having all this fiber around you, not really knowing what it's going to become. So yeah, just as an aside, that's kind of what we're talking about. But I've started, I think I read that post as well about kind of her approach to slow fashion and I think she really broke it down and talked a lot about different aspects of um of slow fashion and how it's, like you say, like, it's not, it's just not so cut and dry. And you're going to have to, like, smash out some kids' leggings sometimes. And yeah. Yeah, I think I'll link to that one in this, particularly that post in the show notes, because I think that that's a really... Um, sort of pertinent posts to read, especially considering the content of your, like the focus of your blog and sort of the focus of our conversation
1: and stuff. Yeah. She makes slow fashion seem really attainable, which not everyone does. Mm. But the way she describes it, anyone could do it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. um, The other ones I love, Seamwork and Colette. Um, I love their Wardrobe Architect series. That's brilliant. And I'm loving the new Seamwork podcast. It's really... Focusing on craft as a healing medium, and also um, making clothes to fit your own body rather than, yeah, ch- trying to change your body to fit the clothes. Yeah, um, I love the pomcast as well from the Pom Pom yeah. Girls. That that's just perfect when you need a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for for in, for natural dyeing, um, I have to recommend. Gregoria Fibers and Fern Fibers on Instagram mm. they both do just beautiful things every time I see their posts I'm like I need to go pick some stuff and dye some yarn yes <laughs> I love it oh my goodness yes yeah I, can, yeah. <laughs> I second those.
0: those they're so incredible there's so many I was just on Gregoria Fibers like scrolling her new um, the latest release of Fibre that yes. she did it was like, Oh, sorry just a second <laughs> That's all right. I just dropped my little sewing mug. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I was on her on her shop website, like scrolling yeah. through her latest release of natural dyes. And I think one of them was like a dandelion or something. She just like had these beautiful fibers. And I think she's based in Spain. Is that right? Like somewhere in I, Europe. <laughs> it's definitely Europe, but I, yeah, it might yeah, be Spain. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I could be totally wrong about that. But there's this whole side of me that's like, oh, the shipping and, oh, the carbon footprint. And, oh, the, and then, and then yeah. there's this part of me that's like, oh, if only we could do a giant bulk buy or something. Yeah. Get all the knitters in Australia to unite. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then we would, like, pay her rent for a year and then we would also yeah. just be, like, super happy with great fiber. i <laughs> I'll keep everyone posted on how I go with creating this <laughs> bulk buying <laughs> cooperative or something
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah those are great did you have any others that you wanted you wanted to mention um i should definitely give a shout out to my auntie she's lolly molly sweets on instagram and she does the most beautiful just the prettiest girly um hand spun yarns that oh nice yeah they're gorgeous and she does yeah she does all the all the fiber herself and does the hand spinning
0: I love that. Cool. Well, I will have links to all of those people in the show notes as well as a link to Ree's blog, which I would highly recommend that you check out, um, especially for the knitters resources and the sewers, sewist resources for, in terms of fiber and fabrics and stuff. Cause that's a really good one. Um, and also she's got a bunch of interviews on there, which have been a real joy to read.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So thanks for coming, Ree. Appreciate it. No worries. That's great. Cool. You've just listened to episode 13 of the Close Knit podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider reviewing and rating it on iTunes to help us spread the word to more people in the fiber arts community. The show notes for this episode can be found on my website, closeknit.com.au slash podcast. Till next time.